0: Well, today, uh, as we are coming toward the end of the year, and we have uh, gotten our way through uh, the book of Daniel, um, I thought it would be good, you know, at the end of the year, it's always uh, a good idea, it's a good opportunity uh, to evaluate a little bit about, you know, where we are and to remember who we are and where we want to go and, you know, all uh, all that kind of thing. And I know it's true that you could do that on uh, March 23rd, you know, say uh, that's the day every year that we're going to uh, do. But it just works out for us nicely that the end of December is the end of a year. And it is true that January 1st is this, the day after December 31st, you know, most of the time uh, this year it falls out that way. Uh, and, uh, but it is uh, 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 a good time to figure all that out. So, uh, you know, uh, there's a word that people like to use in our world today. It's a, uh, you know, it's a popular word in certain circles, and that is a uh, worldview, you know. What is your worldview? What is the worldview? And, uh, and, of course, what is a worldview? It's uh, uh, how you think and see the world, uh, in essence. Right, Just how, how you how you how you view what the perspective that one has from from where from where you sit to what's out there, you know, uh, and uh, that's really what a worldview is. Um, uh, the more you know about the world, uh, the the one could say the broader your worldview, right? Uh, but that's that's basically what it is. And so, um, uh, I was. Uh, uh, how do I say it? I was uh, online having a discussion with some colleagues, we'll say, and uh, we were talking about uh, our worldview uh, in relationship to uh, other parts of the Jewish community, the rest of the Jewish community. You know, and that's a, a good question. And so uh, we were saying that, uh, well, our worldview is a, a Jewish worldview, the way the Jewish people see the world. But our contribution, our uniqueness, is in light of the coming of the Messiah. So in light of the coming of the Messiah, we don't just see uh, 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 the world uh, you know, hoping that someday the Messiah will come. But we live uh, and uh, conduct ourselves and view the world in light of the coming of the Messiah. Uh, and so, uh, therefore... Uh, part of the uh, the nature of that is, well, then that is why we can call ourselves a synagogue and have uh, Jews and Gentiles together, because that's in light of the coming of the Messiah. Uh, that is why we desire to experience uh, aspects of Israel's future today, because of the coming of the Messiah. Uh, uh, and that is why we are called to live a, a radical uh, a type of relational life in light of the coming of of the of the Messiah, uh, and so there there's a lot that goes into that. There's lots of categories and a lot of things. So I thought maybe for the next few weeks we'll look at at uh, a few of them. And um, as I shared with our uh, leadership in a recent, uh, well, in our actually, I think I shared it also in our congregational meeting. Actually, uh, this. Um, uh, a working document that I use to always adding things to it and changing it around and, and understanding uh, our vision and our message in relationship to Yeshua. That, you know, I, I try to be a simple person. And so if Yeshua had a vision, if he had a message, perhaps that ought to be our vision and that ought to be our message, uh, you know. Uh, uh, nuanced and articulated, you know, in the days in, in, which, in which we live. And I'm not going to go through all of that, but uh, I just wanted to say that when you read uh, in the Gospels, Yeshua said, first thing we see that he said, the same thing that John uh, the Baptist, John the Immerser, also said, Yohanan, as we might like to call him, uh, they said the same thing, the very first words that we read out of their mouths, right? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, right? Uh, so that is, that's a really great uh, little phrase there, right? So Yeshua had a very interesting worldview when my, as, a, as a person, as, as, a, as a man in this world, right? He had a very interesting worldview. His worldview is that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so therefore, uh, it, it cannot be business as usual. Uh, it, you know, it, it cannot be... I just, uh, we uh, live within certain cultural paradigms, and and, uh, we listen to this one, we listen to that one, but no, this is uh, uh, what is happening in this world, and we need to live in this way, right? So the first thing he said was, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, right? Repent, so uh, given that uh, vision or that, that view, that perspective, he, uh, his message, therefore, was to repent, to turn to God. That's what that means, you know, to return uh, to God for the kingdom of heaven is at, at hand, okay? So we like to say here uh, that we uh, like to demonstrate and experience uh, Israel's future today. Now, that phrase, kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, uh, used oftentimes interchangeably uh, in the text, uh, is a way of saying the, the world to come. The, the olam haba, as you would say it in, uh, you know, in Hebrew. Okay? Uh, the world to come, the, the kingdom of heaven. Uh, uh, and even in Jewish uh, writings, rabbinical writings. You even see that that terminology, by the way, the kingdom of heaven. And by the way, in uh, just to what your appetite may be for future study, you even read about the universal kingdom of heaven and the national kingdom of heaven. How do you like that? Uh, that, that which affects the whole world and that which affects uh, the Jewish people. Very similar to the way Yeshua taught, frankly. Very, very interesting. Uh, but anyway... So we like to speak in terms of uh, uh, ushering in Israel's future, experiencing Israel's future. And Yeshua could have said that, too. He could have said, repent, for Israel's future is at hand, you know, uh, and we, uh, Israel's future today. He said, the kingdom is coming, but now is in several different uh, texts. So really saying that very same uh, uh, kind of, of thing, right? So therefore, we, like I said, we live and conduct ourselves as a, as a community, uh, as a Jewish community in light of the coming of the Messiah. So one uh, aspect, one manifestation of that, like over the years we talk about, we talk about all of it from time to time, uh, but I thought we would just talk a little bit today uh, about... The manifestation of forgiveness and reconciliation and mutual blessing among people, okay? And that is really a big one because we live in a world that lives in in the grip of fear, right? And we are very much afraid of people uh, and there is very little reconciliation and understanding in this world, right? And what a little bit of fear does uh, uh, to us oftentimes is uh, make us put up walls and cause us to act sometimes in ways that only lead to more fear and retribution uh, and, and do not bring reconciliation okay. or mutual blessing among uh, peoples. It is interesting that in the uh, prophets especially, because the prophets uh, look to the future. But you also see it in the Torah. You see it certainly in the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, uh, phrases that you are familiar with, but you may not realize that they come from the prophets and not from the new covenant, right? Where we read about uh, the nations gathering together uh, with Israel and worshiping the Lord. We read passages about Egypt and Assyria and Israel of uh, coming together, you know, as one. We even read a passage where where Egypt is called my people. How do you like that? Uh, we read about the uh, 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 the, the uh, metaphor of a lion laying down with a wolf, right? Natural enemies, in other words, coming together, right, without fear of each other. So that is, in a sense, the vision, even from the very beginning of the Bible, when God created humanity, isn't it interesting? He created them, it says in Genesis 1, verses 26 and 27. He created them, male and female. And, and so when he created man in mankind in his image, he made two. That's what it says in the first chapter of Genesis. Okay? Chapter 2 tells us how that came to be. But it says in chapter one that he, when he created man, he made two, meaning that in the image of God we are to live relationally. I mean, whether that means man and woman, whether that means people just uh, living uh, uh, in relationship uh, of uh, people groups or people groups living in relationship with other people groups, whatever that may, may may be, that. Uh, we are not called to live uh, in isolation, uh, and we are called to live in relation. Well, when people live in relationship, we know from this side of Genesis chapter 3, which is most of the history of mankind, except for a few minutes, you know, uh, that it requires a mutual understanding, it, it, it requires Reaching out across the aisle, so to speak, reaching out to others unlike ourselves, which we could just call other others. Right? Uh, It means uh, forgiving. It means living a life of perpetual forgiveness. Not like I think I'll decide to forgive today, but like this is the life's like this is it. As as someone once said, it's like oil. That forgiveness is like the oil you put in in the in the you know in the car. That you can't just decide, I think I'll put some oil in today so that the car runs smoothly, right? It has to live on it, so to speak. Uh, And so in the very same way, we have to live that way. And that is a very important part of Israel's future today, okay? Is living this life of reconciliation and, and mutual blessing and forgiveness. And oh, what a message does this world need about that? Because that is so much of what people want in their lives. And I'm not just talking about on a global scale, but wouldn't it be great if people knew that they could have peace in their house, shalom bayit, as it's called, it's a great value in Judaism, shalom bayit, Uh, peace at home. Wouldn't it be great if we knew that when we went to work uh, on Monday morning that I, I thought, I'm, we're going to get along. We're all go, like, going to understand each other. And we're going to, yeah, we're different, but we'll understand our differences and we'll fulfill our calling and our roles. You know, if you work in a particular uh, company, you may not have the same expertise as the person in the next cubicle or in the next office down the hall. And you may have a very different kind of personality. But, you know, when we respect what each other does and we learn uh, the, a lifestyle of forgiveness and mutual blessing, People with varieties of personalities uh, uh, get along. You know, it is interesting that God created us with lots of different personalities, right? And not all personalities are the same. You can be a real uh, outgoing kind of person, you know? Uh, And you could be a real, like, quiet kind of person. One is not more godly than the other. One is not more deferential than the other. The person who... Uh, walks in a room which is bigger than life, can display a tremendous amount of humility, just as the person who's kind of quiet, you know, might be really prideful. And so it's not about our personalities. it's 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 about uh, our heart and the way we conduct ourselves and understanding uh, what uh, uh, you know, forgiveness, reconciliation, and mutual blessing looks at looks like, and how we are called to. To uh, to practice that. Now you know this week's. Uh, oh no, I shouldn't even go there yet. Uh, in in Genesis, just in Genesis in general. I was speaking uh, at a, a ladies' uh, Bible study recently at a local uh, church, and uh, they had just finished a, um, uh, a Bible study on Genesis. And of course, you you know, as is often the case, it's all about Uh, man was created, perfect man, sin, and the rest of it is pictures of the Messiah in the book of Genesis, right? And of course, I commended them saying, well, those are, you know, those things are there, but you know, there's a lot more that's there. And it is very interesting that um, right after you you see in chapter 3, the sin that happens, what happens is the blessings of God all become twisted up, Right? Uh, the blessing of the, uh, of the animal world, you know, living uh, serenely is all twisted up when we read about what the, uh, the judgment on the serpent. We read about the blessing of childbirth becomes now a very difficult process. The a relationship of man and woman becomes one of a tug of war. Uh, and now, you know, God gave this beautiful world to people to live in, and to enjoy. Now it's full of thistles and thorns. Uh, and very difficult uh, to to till the soil. So now uh, we see the the blessings become uh, uh, twisted up. And then the next thing you see is a brother murder, a man murders his brother, right? And then a debauchery and this this downward spiral. And when we come to Abraham, now uh, God not only raises up a man to be the father of a nation of people to bring forth the Messiah, but also a man raised up uh, with his family to demonstrate what that life is supposed to look like, that what, God, what God's desire for life is supposed to look like. And what we see is that they continually mess up, don't they? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, their sons, continually mess up. However, in the big picture of Genesis, we do see this desire, uh, it plays out in the narratives, in the stories of reconciliation and of a desire uh, ultimately uh, to overcome uh, enmity and hatreds and come together. It's interesting, uh, you know, when God called out Abraham, uh, he specifically told him to go himself. You know, he didn't say, and bring your nephew. So we see that Lot came with Abraham, right? Uh, And... uh, uh, In chapter 13, Lot causes Abraham no end of headaches in in his life. And this is not a message about Lot, so I'm just going to mention one little thing. Okay, so in chapter 13 of Genesis, it says in verse 7, And there was strife between the herdsmen of of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. Now the Canaanite and the Perizzite were dwelling in the where." were dwelling then in the land. Then Abram said to Lot, Please let there be no strife between you and me, nor between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brothers. It's a great little statement tucked in there. But it really says a lot. And that is that, you see, in this narrative, in this story, what we see is the desire for there to be brotherly relationships. And no strife. We see here a demonstration of mutual blessing, of Abram blessing Lot uh, in a great act of grace. Uh, It is not God's desire that there would be strife, and we see this demonstrated in the life of Abram. But then you know the rest of the story. I know you do. That uh, you know there was strife between uh, uh, Ishmael and Isaac. And we see at the end of Abram's life, they come together. They come together uh, when Abraham dies. And then we see uh, Isaac, uh, um, I mean, um, uh, Jacob and Esau, right? And what do we see uh, demonstrated in the story of Jacob and Esau? We see forgiveness and we see reconciliation. At the You know, uh, uh, certainly when when Jacob comes back into the land and he's scared to death of what Esau is going to do, right? And then uh, we come to uh, the, story Joseph, uh, and, uh, the story of Joseph and his brothers. And the story of Joseph and his brothers uh, has many uh, right and left turns in it. And I know we, we love to jump to the end of the story, but when it, as it unfolds, what we see is tremendous strife among brothers, just like we saw a tremendous strife among brothers with Isaac, with a, a Jacob and Esau, and strife among brothers with Isaac and Ishmael, and strife among brothers uh, with a Cain and Abel. Uh, and, and one of the great lessons of Genesis is beginning with Abraham, we see strife and then reconciliation. Strife. Reconciliation, strife, and reconciliation among brothers. And might might I suggest, and I teach this in our, in our classes on the Torah and the prophets, especially, uh, that the narratives, the historical parts, are demonstrating how the law of Moses plays out in real life. Whether it's before, whether it doesn't matter chronologically whether it is before Moses, during the days of Moses, or after Moses, okay? Because, you know, you do see in uh, Genesis, in uh, chapter uh, 26, when uh, God is reiterating the promise to Isaac that he had made to Abraham, he says in verse 4 of chapter 26, And I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven, and will give your descendants all these lands... And by your descendants, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed me, kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. That's pretty interesting, considering that Moses, uh, uh, it was still a long time before Moses was going to be born. And it was still a long time before there were actually statutes and commandments. But Abraham kept them. Uh, In other words, it was his way of life. It was, it was uh, the way he conducted himself in, in being faithful to God, you see? And so we see it demonstrated, not in legalistic ways, but how it played out in, in real, uh, real life. And that's how uh, these stories in Genesis are very, very important to us, not simply because they just simply are telling us this is where the people come from and, and the Messiah is going to come, but... The life of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and their sons demonstrates how uh, through the grace of God, through the faithfulness of God, a reconciliation can overcome the strife, you see? Uh, and, uh, and so that is certainly a, a very, very important. Now, we see it uh, uh, for sure in uh, the uh, Torah portion. We know that ultimately... Uh, uh, the sons of uh, Jacob uh, are reconciled to, uh, to Joseph. And we also know that, uh, and that is a paradigm, that is a model uh, of Israel's uh, history because when you come to the Haftorah portion for today, it's a very important portion about reconciliation, right? Uh, in uh, Ezekiel chapter 37, in Ezekiel 37, it's about resurrection, the resurrection of Israel, and reconciliation. And there's a couple of important things to note in that. Okay, there we go. So, what you read in the from uh, verse 1 to verse 15 is basically how uh, Ezekiel sees a vision of bones all over the valley, and they're dry, and they're... They're like just been there a long time, and then there's a rattle and a movement, and through a long process, the bones come together, and and everything that goes along with a living body begins to manifest, and then there's a dead body, and God breathes His breath into that dead body, and the dead body comes to life, and that body is Israel. That's what the text says. Okay. Uh, and it's talking about the fact that there will be a day when all of Israel will gather together and will be alive in the Lord, okay? First, all the bones are going to come together and you're going to have a dead body. And then there'll be a living body in, in the, filled with the ruach, in other words, see? But <clears throat> you'll notice something in particular beginning in what Mark read in English uh, today in verse thirty-seven, in verse 15. The word of the Lord came to me, saying, And you, son of man, take for yourself one stick and write on it for Judah and the sons of Israel, his companion. You know, I'm going to stop right there uh, just to um, observe something that's sort of tangential here. You know, there is a a body of teaching where there are those who believe that uh, Judah today, Judah are the Jewish people. And Israel are Gentile believers, right? Did you ever hear of that? Right? And it manifests itself in all kinds of uh, ways that just are, uh, lead to bad conclusions, okay? Some people refer to it as, a, as the, uh, the, the um, Ephraimite uh, belief or a two-house doctrine, house of Judah and house of Israel. But notice... In the Bible, Judah and Israel are used interchangeably. The sons of Judah are referred to as Israel. The the people who are from Judah are called Israel. They are used interchangeably. There's only one Israel. That's all the Jewish people, okay? There you go. Just thought I'd throw that out there, all right? For Judah and for the sons of Israel, his companions uh, take a stick. Then take another stick and write on it for Joseph, the stick of Ephraim, and all the house of Israel, his companions. Isn't that interesting? Okay, so Israel is everybody. See. Then join them for yourself, one to another, into one stick, that they may become one in your hand. And when the sons of your people speak to you, saying, Will you not declare to us what you mean by these? Say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will take the stick of Joseph, Which is in the land of Ephraim, and the tribes of Israel, his companions, and I will put them with it with the stick of Judah, and make them one stick, for they shall be one in my hand. And the sticks on which you write will be on your hand before their eyes. And then say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will take the sons of Israel from among the nations where they have gone, and I will gather them from every side and bring them into their own land, and I will make them one nation in the land, on the mountains of Israel. And one king will be king for all of them. And they will no longer be two nations. They will no longer be divided into two kingdoms. Okay, They will no longer defile themselves. Uh, And then if you go to the end of the verse, it says, uh, I will cleanse them, uh, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. Okay, That is important because that is referring to, uh, in the history of the Jewish people, Uh, the biggest enemy, in one sense, of Israel has been ourselves, right? And you see here uh, how, how this works out. If you go all the way back to Genesis, brothers have strife and are reconciled. Brothers have strife and are reconciled. Brothers have strife and are reconciled. And in the end, brothers have strife and are reconciled. And it's speaking there about the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah, Right? There was a a split in the kingdom. And what he's saying is that in that day, when Israel will be resurrected, uh, there will be only one nation, one Jewish nation. And not only that, all will be one. All will be reconciled under the name of the Lord. Right? Uh, and, And so, the message, in a sense, of the book of Genesis, as is. The message of the Bible is one of reconciliation. And when Israel is reconciled to God, reconciled to each other, the world becomes reconciled to God, Uh, Jew and Gentile reconciled to one another. And in the end, uh, no one will even learn war, as the Bible says. You see? And so God's desire uh, is reconciliation. Uh, And... Uh, we today are called to demonstrate this reconciliation. In fact, Paul in the New Covenant refers to his ministry as a ministry of reconciliation. See? A reconciliation of people to God, to one another, and to the world uh, in in which we live. And Yeshua talks about this in a very interesting place, in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, in uh, the uh, Gospel of uh, Matthew, he talks about how life is supposed to be in light of the coming of the Messiah. Okay, how we're supposed to live in in light of the coming of the Messiah. So, what's interesting about this is he gives us kind of a, like a kind of a paradigm of how to apply the Torah to life in the Olam Haba, life in the kingdom, life in the uh, you know, uh, uh, for those who uh, uh, embrace Yeshua, right? So, for example, he talks about murder, right? He says, you've heard that it was said you shall not murder, but I say unto you, anybody that, you know, has uh, hatred in their heart uh, is murdering, right? To paraphrase that. He's not saying, I'm changing the law of Moses and murder is actually okay, but you just have to not hate people now. You know, he's not doing that. Is he? No. He's not changing it. So, this this is helpful, because a little bit later on, there is a passage that has been discussed to no no end. And it's really interesting, and I think that it brings out a tremendous truth about this radical life of forgiveness and reconciliation that we are called to demonstrate. And it's in verse 38 and following of uh, chapter 5 of Matthew. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist him who is evil. But whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. And whoever shall force you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks of you, and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you in order that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you and reward, what reward have you? Okay. Do not even the tax gatherers do the same. I would suggest that, that that is one section, that just because he says in verse 41, you've heard that it has been said, he's not changing the subject, okay? And that in the Torah, there certainly is in three different places, the statement eye for eye, tooth for tooth, you know, and so on and, and so on. And that is about justice, no doubt, you know. It's about uh, due process and justice uh, when uh, something happens right? Okay, so now when he says, but I say to you, I'm going to suggest first that he is not dismissing that. He's not dismissing due process and justice, okay? But what he's going to do now, you know how when you read this, you say to yourself, huh? May I suggest that that was the point, that Yeshua kind of wanted those uh, disciples and that multitude to like, whoa, What are you saying, you know? And that what he is saying here is with the coming of the Messiah comes the heart of God for forgiveness and reconciliation. And that we need to have an attitude of being desirous for mutual blessing, forgiveness, and reconciliation. He's not saying, do away with justice. But oftentimes, and I might have said this last week, I might have, or I said it somewhere. (laughs) I can't remember. Uh, And that is that oftentimes what we uh, uh, mouth for justice becomes uh, uh, really revenge and hatred uh, for people and institutions, and not really justice. Yeshua demonstrates this, this balance uh, in a variety of places in his life. He certainly calls for justice, and he says uh, that he is uh, uh, the one who will bring justice, and the winnowing fork is, is what he will bring, and so on. Yet there's the case of the adulterous woman, which is fascinating in this regard, right? So he's being tested, right? He's being challenged, the text tells us. And actually, I might as well read in, uh, um, is it uh, John 8, I believe. It says there, But Yeshua went to the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came into the temple, and all the people were coming to him, and he sat down and began to teach them. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, and having set, and, and having set her in the midst, they asked they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery, the very act. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What then do you say? And they were saying this, testing him. That's good to know. In other words, they weren't actually asking him, we really want, we don't know what to do. What, what, what do you think we should do? No, they're, they're testing him. Okay? They're trying to catch him. They're trying to mess him up. And they were saying this, testing him in order that they might have grounds for accusing him. But Yeshua stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground. But when they persisted in asking him, he straightened up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And when they heard it, they began to go out one by one, beginning with the older ones. And he was left alone, and the woman where she was in the midst. And straightening up, Yeshua said to her, Woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? And she said, No, Lord, no no one, Lord. And Yeshua said, Neither do I condemn you. Go your way. From now on, sin no more. And, you know, it's very interesting. The very next verse says, again, Therefore, Yeshua spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in the darkness, but shall have the light of life. Does this mean that Yeshua uh, uh, condoned adultery or that he didn't care about it at all? Not in the least. But he was showing this woman tremendous mercy and recognized uh, evidently, you know, her, uh, her heart. And what you see in this passage is, in a sense, at the very beginnings of a, a new covenant a understanding of a demonstration of radical forgiveness and radical mercy. He was not uh, against the, the Torah, and he knew that the hearts of those who were ready to stone her were no better than anyone else's. And it is a demonstration, in a sense, of a passage such as this. No, uh, Yeshua is all uh, for due process and, and, uh, and judgment, but also uh, uh, tendered with mercy. See? Now, the problems that we often have in passages like this, we like to apply them to, to secular regimes, you know what I mean, and say, "Well, how does that work out that way?" Might I suggest that uh, that uh, you know Yeshua was not speaking to the Romans here. You know, he's talking to his own people, and so in our application of these things, we need to recognize that what Yeshua is saying: don't be so quick to mete out the 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 the, the judgment, because oftentimes meeting out that judgment is a desire for, uh, you know, for us to, to, to get, to, to make a point or, uh, you know, or uh, to get back uh, or uh, to be uh, uh, absolutely uh, judgmental and so on. But that is not the point. In fact, in the Torah, the point of those laws were that you can't simply do whatever, whatever you want to do to somebody that if somebody knocks out your eye, you can't go and hit and kill them. And so he's saying it's a law of restraint. And he says, now what I'm saying is show radical restraint. Not letting people simply off off a hook and as if there's no law, but the ultimate goal is the transformation of people's lives. And so he uses radical illustrations of not resisting him who does evil, uh, anybody who sues you, right? Anybody who forces you to go one mile, do more, do more, do more, okay? And then, see, it's interesting. He brings into this, he knows the question that we're going to have. Wait a minute. It says, you've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, nowhere does it say hate your enemy, right? But he says, love your enemy. So if we're called to uh, to love our neighbor, if we're called to love our neighbor, how do we do what how does that relate to eye for eye and a tooth for a tooth? Well, what Yeshua is evidently saying and he and he kind of gets at this with the Samaritan, the good Samaritan, is that you know what everybody is my neighbor. And so therefore I, I uh, we need, and he, See, Yeshua is giving us, this is how the Torah is supposed to play out. Not in some legalistic fashion where it says, I can do this to you, so I'm going to do this to you. But ultimately, what the Torah is about is uh, about reconciliation, about justice and mercy and reconciliation and loving kindness and following the nature and the character of God. And we see in the narrative stories, throughout the Torah and in the entire history of, of Israel uh, in the Bible, is that God is faithful, and that He chastises, and that He does bring about justice, and that He says that He will get revenge and, uh, and not us, uh, and that we, uh, and that ultimately, we're called to be reconciled. Now, in the natural world, that is practically impossible. But you see, with the coming of Yeshua, Now, as we embrace him, and as he as has inaugurated this way of life, that's what we're called to demonstrate. Then he goes on here. Isn't it interesting? I say, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. You know, because this is inscriptured, we're kind of like used to that statement. But if you never heard that before, and I just got up and said that one day, what are you talking about? What do you mean, love your enemies? What are you trying to say? Well, your argument is not with me. It's with Yeshua. Okay? In order that he may be... See, it knows what it is. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you in order that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, reign on the just and the unjust. And, you know, if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax gatherers do the same. This is... In fact, I wrote in in, uh, handwriting... Bless the other. I wrote that some other, sometime in the past. Bless the other. This is a a further demonstration, a radical demonstration of blessing the other, okay? And so that's what he's getting at. He's not talking about what about this case and what about that case? and what about this case and what about that? He's talking about an attitude that we're supposed to have. He's talking about a way of life. He's talking about a a, a you might say even a a messianic cultural shift just in the way that we handle the affairs of life. Again, I'll say it again. He's not saying forget about justice. He's saying, but but don't have the attitude of like you can't wait to meet it out. But have the, the attitude of, of forgiveness and of reconciliation and of a desire for that. You know, it reminds me of a passage in the book of Galatians in the sixth chapter in the first verse. Yeah. It says, Brethren, if any man is caught in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself, lest you be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and fulfill the law of Messiah. Okay? So the point here is, without you know taking a big right turn, which I certainly would love to do, but I certainly won't, Okay, restore the goal is restoring people, even if that means in the due process of uh, the body life of Messiah is you know from Matthew chapter eighteen, where you go to a person and then and let's say they don't they don't respond, they don't repent, then two people go, right then you bring it to the elders and hopefully this doesn't happen, but to the whole congregation, and then a person uh, is not allowed to be in the fellowship because they won't repent of their sin, and the sin is contaminating the body. The goal is reconciliation. The goal is forgiveness. The goal is not poking their eye out because look what they did. That's the, that's the demonstration of this kind of life. And that's radical when you really live that out. That's why in the body of Messiah there, there, there must not be any kind of enmity. There must. They, they cannot exist here. There cannot be anything. There cannot be hatreds. And if we are holding grudges, we need to go to God about that. Uh, and, and if we as believers are holding grudges with people, and this is where ninety percent of it is, with people out there, like our brothers and sisters and our children and or parents or friends or coworkers or whatever. Wow, what a radical lifestyle to uh, uh, to pray for those who are your perceived or real enemy uh, and demonstrate uh, not what they're expecting, which is you're going to hate them back, but demonstrate in a way that as much as it depends on you, be at peace with all, uh, with all people. It doesn't mean necessarily saying, it doesn't matter what you did to me. Go ahead, whip me again, you know. That is not what Yeshua means in the Sermon on the Mount. He's using these metaphors to describe a radical kind of loving your enemy. And so, uh, just like it says at the end of Romans chapter 12, never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. Don't you leave room for the wrath of God. Okay? Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Okay? It doesn't mean, oh, we should never seek justice. It means we should never seek, uh, uh, we should never hold hatred uh, and animosity and using justice as a way to get revenge uh, at people. That is what the world does. That's, that's what people expect, Right? and 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 oftentimes, in the body of Messiah, it's like we expect that too, with a little sprinkling of forgiveness. So it's like just like a dash of forgiveness, you know? In, in all of that, a dash of forgiveness. because look what they did to me, you know, But we're called to a radical kind of change, a radical life, uh, style, uh, a change. And that is what we see. Uh, That is what we see here, depicted uh, in, uh, you know, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And that is our vision, demonstrated in this way of life, as seen in Abraham and Lot, and as seen with Joseph and his brothers. Uh, And I'll just say, if you read the um, Darash that I sent out, also, very interestingly, with Pharaoh and Jacob. Uh, and how kind Pharaoh is, how kind Egypt is to Jacob uh, and, his, uh, and his sons, giving them choice land, taking care of their every need, and Jacob blessing uh, uh, Pharaoh, right? Uh, and it is very, very interesting, that mutual blessing of the other, not only within the nation, but of, of Israel and the nations blessing the other. That is indeed what we talk about Israel's future today. That is something that we're called to. And so may we demonstrate that, you know, in the upcoming year, may we demonstrate radical forgiveness, and may we seek radical forgiveness, and may we seek radical reconciliation. Uh, and as much as it depends on us, may, be, may we be at peace with all people, certainly as demonstrated within our community and as we relate uh, to this world. And may people say that and say, wow, that is a quality of life that I want. And that indeed is the Olam Habah, Israel's future lived out today. Let's pray. Lord uh, uh, God, thank you for this worldview that you have given to us, that we are living uh, in this portion of the world to come. Still, inundated with the flesh and the sin of this world. But Lord, may we not wallow in evil just because there's evil. May, may evil be overcome with good. May we demonstrate good. May we demonstrate your faithfulness. May we demonstrate your forgiveness as we forgive one another, as we bear one another's burdens. Lord, as we reach out uh, to those who have enmity with us. Lord, may we not get depressed and may we not get down thinking that the world is against me, but Lord, may we know that, that nothing can separate us from, from you and from your love. And no matter what the culture or no matter what, the, what people may do, you remain the same. And Lord, may that thought, may that great truth empower us, Lord, coupled with the true transforming power of the Ruach HaKodesh, Lord, that we might be able to really demonstrate radical, a radical way of life. Uh, that leads uh, uh, a people to you, Lord. May we really be the light, as Yeshua said, he indeed is the light. And we pray in Messiah's name.